Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business, where I talk with interesting people sharing life and business experiences to entertain, engage, build community, and provide information to help others succeed. If you're interested in learning more about one of our guests or how we are helping business owners generate wealth and build businesses they can sell or succeed at Exit Your Way, you can find more information on our website, ExitYourWay.com, or by contacting me directly, Damon at ExitYourWay.com. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I am Damon Pastolka, your host, and I am excited for our guest today because we have Noah Puse here today talking about the financial ROI of culture. Noah with Ripple Analytics, welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Damon. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Man, I am excited because... As we were talking about beforehand, the very thing that you do happened to align with the client I was talking with today. So it's going to be awesome talking about that. It's going to be talking. We're going to talk a bit about employee engagement, feedback on on the culture work that you're trying to do in your organization and those dreaded annual performance reviews. So, Noah, let's start back a few years. Talk about your background. You went to school and and became a lawyer, and then you ended up, I, I want to start a company that's helping businesses understand their employees better. Tell us yeah, about in a nutshell, In a nutshell, um, I had practiced law for, I still practice law on the side a little bit, just keep the brain sharp. Yeah. Um, but I practiced law up until about 2014. Uh, one of my best friends, Derek Hedges, uh, had been diagnosed with um, terminal cancer stage four. And um, he really was looking to identify a way of, of leaving an imprint on, um, on business. He, he got his MBA from Michigan. He worked at a Fortune 500 company up in Boston. And so we started spitballing and we started talking about the things people like about being um, employed and things that people don't like. At the time, I was uh, managing my own law firm. Uh, he, was, he had a bunch of people directly reporting to him. And we had both gone through the cycle of annual reviews at the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. And so we started doing some research and we found that most people found the annual review, both, both management side and labor side, executives, managers, owners, and the people that come and, and, and punch the clock didn't like the re annual review. It was anxiety ridden. It wasn't particularly productive. It was largely a compliance exercise, meaning, you know, check the box every year you got to do it. I worked for a couple big firms out of law school and I, I readily identified with the research we, found, we, we, we arrived at, meaning, you know, you get your 20 minutes a year to talk with your boss. Now, maybe that works, maybe in 1950, possibly could maybe work in 1960. But if you fast forward to 2014 at the time, and certainly now 2023, and you're implementing a communication-based process where you speak with your direct reports 20 minutes a year of meaningful conversation, uh, I shouldn't have to convince anyone that that's a broken model. Um, with the yeah. you know with the influence of technology today, uh, with the instant feedback, certainly millennials, uh, Gen Zers get on a on a, a minute to minute basis. You know, if you look at what like when we were cutting our teeth with emails, right back in mm -hmm. back in the '90s and 2000s, 
Now you've got Instagram, you've got TikTok, you've got this instant message, instant fulfillment society. Well, if I'm a 51-year-old manager and I'm telling my 26-year-old employees, listen, I'm going to talk to you next December about everything that happened over the last 12 months, they're going to look like they're going to look at me cross-eyed and they're going to say, well, what do you mean? The human brain, you know, we were talking about um, your client in terms of the psychologists in, involved. The human brain only remembers things accurately for six to eight weeks. So then again, again, you know, these, these points, these factual um, information tidbits, if I tell you that your brain only really remembers things accurately for six to eight weeks, and then on the next sentence I say, and, and by the way, you're going to review your people based on the last 12 months. How do you marry those two components up? You can't. And so what we did is we worked with an IELTS psychologist, Dr. Frank Shipper. I spoke with him earlier today. Great guy. Um, and we said, how do we, how do we make something more effective? How do we make something that is actionable, provides actionable information? And, and, and Ripple was born. Um, we spitballed and we, we said, you know, is it, is it better to, to do it quarterly every six months? And we found that it was, it was on a monthly frequency that you really want your feedback to be shared. And it, we, we, um, in working with uh, Dr. Shipper, the interconnected uh, feedback loop is what Ripple's all about. We're a team-based model, and everyone on your team gives and receives feedback from everybody else. So it's not the hierarchy uh, hierarchical uh, approach of 10, 15 years ago where the manager yeah. you know, reviews his or her or their direct reports. It's, I want to give information to Damon. Damon wants to give information to Susan. Susan wants to give information to Linda. Linda wants to give information to me. And oh yeah, our manager is also in the loop so that the manager gets and receives and gives feedback about the people that they interact with and that they're managing. And, and what we really wanted to do, the goal of Ripple was to empower managers to be better. You know, you've heard the stat, everyone listening has heard the stat, 80% of people that quit, uh, their jobs are quitting their managers. So it's not 5%, it's not 17%, it's 80%. That's yeah. an incredible number. So what are organizations doing to make their managers better, to make their managers better managers? And so Ripple offers the data. Ripple gives information that, that managers can use in making data-driven decisions. And that's, you know, we're all about data, obviously. And, and if you don't have some component of your business operations focused on data analytics, then you're probably missing opportunities to grow and and to scale. Yeah, and and honestly, in our work with client work, it it the analytics is where a lot of people still struggle. They they have some, you know, they got the financial data. Yeah, yeah, people can get that because they got to balance the checkbook and all that good stuff at the end of the day, or get their investor reports right. But it it the the analytics around and especially around people, culture. I mean, are we hiring the right people that blend in with us? I mean, I'm, I got, I got so many questions that we're going to start because it's going to be, or, or are you hiring enough people with diverse experiences enough to make your teams more dynamic? You're not, yeah. you're not just hiring clones. You're not yep. just hiring, you know, one size fits all. And, and, and that's 2023. Again, not to beat a dead horse, but in 1950, maybe you can do that in 1960, yeah. maybe, but now, and, and yeah. by the way, when I say maybe you can do it, maybe you can get away with it in 1950, 1960. It doesn't mean it was ever right. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, 
managers have learned from poor managers who've learned from poor managers over multiple decades, if not forever. What we're trying to really do is disrupt that whole concept of, you know, using data to make better decisions. Yeah. And, and by the way, it, it takes away one of the biggest um, concerns that employees have with the annual review is that there's an incorporation of unintentional bias. And it's very important. That first word is very important. It's unintentional. It doesn't mean, you know, we're all human beings. So we all have likes and dislikes based on stuff that have nothing to do with the day-to-day -day operations of a business. And if we're the same sport, we were talking about the Seattle Seahawks earlier. If I was a Seahawks fan, we'd be talking a lot longer about it. I'm a football fan, so we can talk a little about it. But then if I, if I review you versus reviewing Dan and Dan doesn't like sports or doesn't play sports or does, what does that matter at all? If I'm running a, mm -hmm. a, a firm that provides a service to clients, it should not matter that Dan's not a sports fan. Mm -hmm. And yet, unintentionally, it might. So we're trying to remove all of that. We're trying to, or at least, at the very least, limit it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. So as, as we talk about this, and you, you are going, so the impetus to start Ripple was really to overhaul the way that we really, and I don't even like to use the word, assess people or how we're dealing. What, what was the real impetus behind it all? It was the time and effort it took to do something that both Derek and I knew wasn't effective. Yeah. It was basically, what are we wasting our time? And, and, and by the way, you research it. Um, if you look at some of the bigger companies in, in America, Accenture, right? 200,000 plus employees in 2016, they got rid of their annual review because the president and CEO of Accenture said, why are we doing it? And no one could give him an answer that made any sense. And with 200,000 plus employees, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of people hours invested in a process. So when the president says, what are we doing it for? You can't, you know, show them a report, show them the data, show them some sort of ROI on why you're doing this exercise that, again, probably included. I'd have to estimate that a, a company like Accenture has hundreds of people in their HR department. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, constantly trying to gather this information, call it together. And by the way. It's a completely flawed system in most organizations because, you know, if you have the 360 where you're actually getting and giving information from your coworkers, any any big organization is prone to uh, encounter some form of gamification for those types of processes. I know a, a person that's been in big pharma for 20 plus years, and he shared with me when I was sharing him what we were doing with Ripple. Yeah, every year I just change the name on my 360 report and and send it in. It's change the date and the name. So he's got the same description of of how they're interacting with that person, the same description of how that person helped them, same description of some of the critiques for seven, eight people on their team. And and it's telling on two fronts. One, the person I know, the employee doesn't really care enough to give genuine yep. feedback to his or her yep. coworkers, but also if he's working at this company for five, six, seven years, and the manager doesn't realize that all of his 360 reports are identical except for name and date, that means the manager's not looking at the reports. The main, that means they're just checking the box and they're moving on. So if you're doing that, then why do it at all? Goldman Sachs got rid of their traditional annual review process. GE got rid of their traditional annual review process. 
and and largely the argument against the annual the traditional annual review process was show me the ROI show me what this does to move the needle and when you can't when you can't answer that question then you either replace it with something that's more dynamic or you just get rid of it altogether until you find that dynamic replacement that was a lot and it was awesome <laughs> just have to say i'm writing feverishly here because we've got a lot of questions sure now, i've got a lot of questions because they, hey these companies obviously didn't just wake up one day and go ah we're throwing this out the door because it's too big a decision too right. big a decision so and you make a great point about the 360 reviews and the copy paste and even I, I would come back to say, even if if I'm managing and it's the old traditional, I write a review, you write it, you know, yourself review, doing the same damn thing in a lot of cases, even because you're going back and looking at, uh, looking at it anyway. And while well, I still need to work on that, still need to, and think know, and think about the process. Think about because, you know, when I worked for a big firm out of law school, it was. Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? HR emails. Have you done it yet? Have you yep. done it? So finally, it's like, you know what? I haven't done Damon's review, but I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to get through it Friday afternoon. Well, and I just yep. put something on the paper and I hit send and HR's off my back for 11 and a half months. Yep. So the, the, the incentive is to stop getting obnoxious emails, reminder emails from HR versus the incentive of, you know what? I really liked and enjoyed working with Damon. We worked on a couple of projects together and I think he's got this skill set that's great and this skill set that's great. Maybe he could work on this. Maybe he could work on that. Instead of, you know, just basically allowing um, coworkers to share anonymously, by the way, Ripple's an anonymous platform. So yeah, you can, you can we'll be- talk about that. Yeah, yeah, you can be completely upfront about how you feel. Um, and also just, just to have some productive measure uh, for, for going through the exercise. And, you know, I mean, it- it's like any process in, in HR, not any, but a lot of the processes in HR, it's checking the box, making sure that you're, you're complying with what you need to comply with. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dive in a little bit into Ripple because I, I tell you what, I am, I am amazed. I'm, I'm not amazed. I'm very interested in the, the background. So you, you know, Explain what Ripple is a little bit and then why you kind of do it the way you do it. And then I've got some questions I want to ask around that. Sure. So Ripple is a feedback platform that allows um, companies, managers, owners, executives to gather and crunch data to show where their people are stronger, where they might have some blind spots and could be um, uh, in could be a strong candidate for some developmental coaching. Um, Ripple also identifies self-awareness. Self-awareness is arrived at by gathering two sets of data points. One, through your, your self-survey. So every year you complete a 50 question self-survey. And those questions are the questions that your colleagues are answering about you, but you're answering them about yourself. And then the colleague uh, data set. And, and when you compare those two data sets together, the closer those numbers are, we're a one to five scale. So let's say you're a 4.2 in conscientiousness. That's what you give yourself and your people, your coworkers think you're a 4.1. Then you're, you're self-aware when it comes to conscientiousness. Yeah. Why is that important? It might not be if the job function or job role doesn't require high levels of conscientiousness. However, if your job role does, then you marry up the 
title, the job uh, responsibilities with those personality traits. Ripple gathers um, data along five core personality traits. They're called the big five in IO psychology. And they are the most important human, human, not employee, human personality traits that we all exhibit 24 yeah. seven. And at the heart of Ripple is to make sure that Noah from nine to five, Monday through Friday, is the same Noah from 5.01 to 8.59, Monday through Sunday, meaning am I my real self in the workplace? Yeah. Do you get upset? Do you get happy? Do you, I mean, sure, you have, you have every personality has ebbs and flows, but am I a consistent person when it comes to who I am? Can my people expect me to be fairly level when it comes to my level, various personalities? Yeah. And that doesn't mean you have to be a five out of five for all of the personality traits. In fact, it's almost impossible. Yeah. But one of one of our uh, personality traits is curiosity. So I always use the example of curiosity. If you have a self-aware person when it comes to curiosity and they have got a high score, so let's say it's a four and a half. If you're looking at a person who's in the accounting department, probably not that important to have high levels yeah. of curiosity. But if you're looking to promote within your marketing team, you're going to look at curiosity and say, those are that's an important personality trait with respect to the job function. So let's look at the, the data a little deeper. Um, yeah. So Ripple is administered on a, on a frequency of monthly. Uh, we have done quarterly. We've done weekly. Um, the, the last thing you want when you're a survey analytics tool is to, get, um, to have your users uh, encounter what's uh, called survey fatigue. So we generally um, look at five, six, seven people on a team, tops. So if you have 20 people on a team, you just split that into three different teams um, so that when the person's completing their fifth, sixth, or seventh survey, they're giving accurate, genuine information. Um, and then it's completely customizable. So we have those five big five personality traits. But then we also know that in various industries and in various spaces, you you might have KPIs that you want to um, follow data along. So we help you build out those surveys to make the language you know, effective in terms of gathering yeah. accurate information and, and working with you so that you can you know, it's, I think you called it the performance review at one point early, early in our discussion, or possibly before we started. Yeah. Performance is always going to be this, this concept that is very easily measured in certain capacities, right? You have a sales mm -hmm. team, sales team performance would appear to be easy, right? Damon sold 140% over goal. Noah sold 90% of goal. So he was 10% lower. Damon was 40% over. So if I'm a traditional manager of a sales team, I say Damon's the better salesperson and Noah's got issues. We got to talk to him. He's got to get at least a goal. That's the whole point of having that goal, right? However, if you dig deeper and you find out that Damon would walk over his mom to close a deal yeah. and stab anybody in the back to close a deal, and that's why he's at 140. Meanwhile, Noah is a mentor to the younger salespeople. He helps. His door's always open. The clients love him you got to look at other components because if you just look at the PL, if you just look at the financials yeah. behind it, then it's an easy decision, but maybe it's not. And, and when you look at the four or five people that quit the team because they couldn't work with Damon anymore, then what is the net impact? What is the ripple effect? That's our scoring system of Damon within the organization compared to Noah's. And it doesn't yeah. mean that you, it certainly does not mean having run a few businesses that there's not importance with the 140% uh, of goal, right? Yeah. But and I've I've used this example the last couple of years. Look at the look at the data, and maybe 
if Damon's a negative, and I don't mean to be, be, be picking on you, obviously, but no, 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 if, no. If, if Damon is a negative influence or toxic um, co-employee, go hybrid, go remote, tell him to work from home, get him, give him $500 stipend to get a, a co-workspace, get yeah. him out of the office and go do your 140% of goal. But I'm not going to let you influence negatively the people in our office. And that yeah. way, just to get back to the whole data-driven decision-making, the manager can sit and tell Damon, listen, we obviously loved 140% of goal. Great job. But you see your data. By the way, every user of Ripple sees their own data. They have access to their own dashboard. So there's no surprise. I'm sure if, if you have a, um, a career like me, you had those annual reviews where you'd be giving them or receiving them, and you'd have the person that sits down and they think they're a rock star Meanwhile, you know, if you could fire them, you would, but you just can't. And and they're expecting a 10% raise and a $50,000 bonus. And you're sitting there like, what do you? Yeah, where are you who going? Do you oh, think, yeah, who do you think you limited? <laughs> so if you looked at Ripple and you saw your dashboard and you saw your numbers and you realized going into that, you know, annual compensation discussion, that's, that's the point of supplementing the annual review yeah. with real data. Then that person knows that his, his expectations should be muted at best. And, yeah. and it also empowers that person to seek uh, advisement, direction, go to their manager, say, you know, I'm just not sure how to become more cooperative. You know, we, we, we have a stable of um, consultants that we have relationships with that when you have a person that you believe in, but they're coming short on a couple things, you can have that, that, that consultant come in and work with that employee. It's, it's a lot easier unless the employee is a train wreck, it's a lot easier to help that employee um, progress within your organization than getting rid of that employee oh, yeah. and yeah. hiring a, a replacement. Well, and especially with the difficulty in hiring over the last couple of years, it's yep. it, the competition's even worse. So this is awesome. So first of all, actionable data. I mean, this is really something that most performance reviews, annual reviews, whatever, give little to no actionable data and and to have the because i'm i'm a big i'm a i'm a kpi freak right yep. and, and it and the one thing that you really can't measure is how well people are fitting with an organization in a succinct kpi manner and that is that is like to me that's the third leg of the stool because you can have an organization that appears to be performing pretty well but you might have a, 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 well, and you do with probably, and you don't even know it, you've got several could be cultural terrorists in your, and I call them that. I know I maybe other people use that word, but I do because the, the people that culturally wreck your organization worse than anyone else are so good at it that you don't even know half the time. But when you can get anonymous feedback, I got to believe you can spot that. It's interesting. The um, I'm in the data analytics space, so Gallup comes out with their engagement um, numbers every year. Yeah. And in 2022, the numbers were interesting. The numbers for engagement actually fell for the first time in a decade. So that's concerning. Yeah. Because what happens when you talk about the cultural um, terrorists, we'll call them cultural uh, negative influencers, there right? You go. The people that's sabotage, sabotage yeah. uh, central, right? 17% of American employees are actively disengaged. Yeah. So one out of five, essentially, 
are actively disengaged, not just disengaged, ho-hum, kind of going along, not really driving themselves, actively participating in being disengaged. Yep. They want to be disengaged. Active disengagement. I love it. So you only have 32% of engaged employees. And that number was at 34 to 36 for the last five, six years. Uh, the first two years of COVID, it didn't even go down, which was kind of, which was kind of cool from a, yeah. you know, if you're, you're either engaged or you're not, essentially was what the data showed. But for the first time in over a decade, the, the engaged number went down. And that should concern organizations because it's showing that the negative, those toxic influencers, they are having an impact. Mm -hmm. I mean, it went down two points in one yeah. year from yeah. 2021 numbers. And at that, again, we're not talking about, you know, tenths of points of percentage points. We're talking about numbers, 2%. That's a, that's a big number. Well, um, and how many total, you said it was 30 some percent of total were engaged. 32. 32. So One out of three. 32, but it went down to 30. No, it was 30. It hovered between 34 and 36 for the last decade. Okay. 34 and yep. 36, and it went down to 32. Well, that's 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 a lot as a percentage it's 10 of the overall. Drop. It's a 10% yeah. drop. 10% right. drop. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's like if 10% of your employees are now not engaged that, that, that were before, that, that's, that's huge. You know, just count across how many employees you got a thousand employees. I got, I got a hundred employees that are now not engaged that were before. How big a deal is that? And if this trend, if, if it's trending that way, how do you stop it? Yeah. How do you stop it from being another 10% next year and another 10% the year yeah. after one of the, one of the key, I, I love, um, I love facts, F A C T S. I don't particularly use faxes anymore, but, and, and the biggest fact that I've used over the last couple of years is, Enga disengagement costs American companies over $500 billion a year. Wow. I mean, with a B, it, it, it uh, American companies spend billions of dollars to avoid corporate um, theft, meaning people leaving with a ream of paper, a stapler, uh, a laptop every now and then. Corporate theft domestically accounts to about $21 billion in losses. Hmm. So 21 billion, everyone's got retinal scanners and ID scanners and, you know, yeah. the little turnstiles at the elevator, all that stuff. But when I show you that disengagement costs those same companies $500 billion. Yeah. At, what, what are you doing about it? And if you're not doing anything about it, then stop with the retinal scan and stop with the ID passes because it's a small fraction of the amount of money you're losing to disengagement to corporate theft. Mm -hmm. um, That's for sure. And, and again, wow. those are not small numbers. We're not talking no. about, we aren't talking about small numbers. We're talking about huge organizationally impactful numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you've had Ripple for eight years now. You've had people that are using this for a while. So what are some of the things that you see when, when people first start, when they've used this a while, and then when they're mature in the, with the product? Yeah. So we have um, first, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because we've had clients, not many, but we've had some clients that don't like the data that question the algorithms Yeah, because I've been working with Damon for 20 years. He couldn't, certainly this data can't be accurate. And I say to them, I don't know Damon. I've never worked with him, but this is what his coworkers think about him. This is the data that, you know, and, and uh, we are not, we do not promote, 
run Ripple for a month and then start firing people. It, it's a it's a it's an organic exercise. It grows within an organization so that you can gather the data, utilize the data over time. You need statistically relevant data in order to do anything. So yeah. the first step is gathering enough data to make sure you can take steps with those individual employees. And when when it comes to you know kind of the aha moments, you know, there it's not like you got 80% of your employees are going to shock you. You're going to see the data as managers, owners, executives, and you're going to say, oh, interesting. You know, maybe 10, 15% of the time you'll say, oh, I didn't know that about Noah. That's, that's you know, that's good to know. Or, yeah. hmm, I didn't know about that about Noah. Maybe we should consider getting him help. One of the, one of the biggest things we try to instill in our, in our, in our clients is, you know, most human beings, their personality traits are, are largely in place by the time they're 10 to 12 years old. So when you're talking to a 45-year-old or certainly a 25-year-old or a 63-year-old, mm -hmm. you're talking with somebody whose personality traits are going to have largely been developed. So when you look at his or her information yeah. or the data on you know, consistency, that's one of the personality traits we track. Yeah. Well, if you're just not naturally consistent at 45, 63, even 32, the chances of you becoming naturally consistent are very small. However, the chances of realizing why it's important to be consistent, even if you're not, and the importance of a manager saying, okay, Noah's not consistent. Let's not put him in a job role that stresses consist consistency or cooperation or conscientiousness mm -hmm. or any of the other personality traits. So that when I know I'm not naturally curious, right? And you constantly put me in charge of redesigning the website or yeah. uh, working with the marketing team or advertising. And that, that stresses me out because I know I'm not naturally curious. And now managers and the employees are armed with this information where a manager can say, oh, you know what? I should actually talk to Susan. Her, her curiosity numbers are great. And Noah breathes a sigh of relief because he knows they revamp the website every 18 months. And he, does, he knows that he's done it the last three times, but, I, but he hates it. Yeah. I can't tell my manager I hate it because that old, you know, traditional approach to management is if I complain, then I'm a problem versus if I offer suggestions is what we really should be asking for as managers. How can I make how can I make the team better? And that doesn't mean yeah. the manager follows everything. It doesn't mean the manager is is required to do anything. But wouldn't it be great if managers acted more on objective data than subjective opinions. And, you know, yes. uh, one of our, one of our clients used um, ripple data with respect to a management change a few years ago. That's what we want to see. We want to see, you know, positively changing mm -hmm. um, their workplace environment based on data and decisions that, that rose out, arose out of that data. Yeah. And I, I've got to this, you're, you're again, I, I just think you're putting numerical data or even just comments in and things around that's meaningful rather than once a year we sit down and go, what can I remember? Write it down, get to if, the whole If thing. nothing else, if nothing else, you know, and, and we do talk, we, we're not big fans of the annual review for all the reasons I've set forth. Yeah. But if you're going to do the annual review, at least give the manager give that team leader information that's been gathered throughout the year. It takes a very dynamic manager to, to take notes 
throughout that 12 month period, accurate yeah. notes, yeah. not notes after they just got off a, a, a heated call with a client. So those notes might be, you know, influenced negatively about that. But actual, uh, accurate, genuine notes takes a very dynamic, very few of them do it. So at the very least, the Ripple dashboard with commentary, we offer commentary. Um, users can um, offer 255 characters of comments uh, yeah. to, for each question. But you can, you, you can see the, the global uh, last 12 months and you can see it on your dashboard. And, and when you go into that meeting with your six, seven, eight people on your team, you can have a meaningful discussion. Because the discussion will largely be uh, already on uh, on the screen. I mean, the person going into that meeting who's looked at his or her data and the manager who's having that meeting with that person has looked at his or her data. It's going to be a more, much more meaningful and arguably faster conversation. Yes. So you mentioned this. And now, now the the whole reasoning behind Ripple is, is because the annual reviews aren't productive. How does it look when you're using Ripple? Because I, I just, as you were saying this, I'm like, okay, now we don't have an annual review. What do we do? What, what, what do, uh, using Ripple, how does this work? So we've always championed and, and we fully support the concept of an annual compensation discussion. Okay. Um, the compensation discussion cannot happen every month. It yep. would, you know, be financially reckless to even think oh, about yeah. doing that. What we say is Ripple is an annual review. It's just done monthly. It, it does exactly what the annual review, what the annual review is supposed to do, but it just does it monthly so that it's more timely, more actionable, yeah. more genuine. So, you know, we're not saying you shouldn't assess your people. You're, we're saying that you should assess your people. Your people should assess your people. Uh, and, and you get a bigger, you know, more um, meaningful picture yeah. of how everyone's interacting and how everyone's benefiting from that interaction. And by the way, we, <laughs> we know that some teams are great and some teams aren't, and some teams are, you know, kind of flying in the middle. It's okay. And we're, we are not suggesting that Ripple is going to show you that hundred percent of your employees are great, mm -hmm. whatever great means, yeah. because we, we aren't, we aren't accountants. I'm a lawyer, but you know, we aren't medical practice uh, owners. We yeah. aren't um, financial service uh, firm owners. We're people uh, analytics. We are human being. We, you know, we know the psychology of the employees that work in an organization. The industry specific stuff we lead to the owners of those of those businesses. Yeah. So you're doing those reviews monthly, and still a lot, but that allows you to do that annual compensation conversation much more productively because it's not like you said. It's not a surprise. If you come in and and your your monthly reviews have been so so, Damon's an okay person, so okay overall, um, but not stellar to to come in and expect a stellar performance review or not stellar annual increase comparatively. If you haven't seen that you're a stellar per, stellar performing in a stellar stellar fashion throughout the year. I'm trying to choose my words because it Yeah, I mean, I think I think what what is interesting about the component of the performance of of an employee is to get back to a point I made earlier. When you're talking about a sales team, you can at least have a even if it's a sketch, you have a picture of what that person has meant from a financial component to yeah. the office. When you uh, law firms are the same thing, right? Law firms, the almighty billable hour, 
So yep. if I build 2,200 hours in a year and the and the requirement is 2,000, I'm a rock star. They don't care if I'm horrible, if I'm great, if I like working with my coworkers, if I scream at clients, all that stuff. If I build 200 hours extra because it's a calculator exercise, right? Yeah. $450 an hour, 525 an hour times 200. The firm's like, yeah, people don't like him, but he just made us X numbers of thousands of dollars. Yeah. In a lot of companies, that's not the case. A lot of companies, there aren't those metrics that are so obvious. And so when you talk about the net impact, again, you know, our scoring system is called the ripple effect score. Yeah. Everything you do during your interaction with fellow coworkers has an impact on those people, good, bad, or otherwise. And if you understand that and you can appreciate that, you know, how you do things is as important as what you're doing. You know, I, I was... Uh, I was reading a book, um, Love as a Business Model, and it was basically saying that, and, and it sounds a lot, not corny, but it sounds a lot more emotional. Um, the concept is be nice to people. Yeah. Understand that what you do and how you do it is important. And even if it's something that's tough to do, understand that that person is a human being and they're going to, you know, one of the one of the goals Derek and I had when we were, were mapping out Ripple was Let's try to make people's lives better. And if they're happier in work, if they're more self-aware about their impact in the workplace, they're going to take it home with them. If I have a good Friday, I have a good weekend, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and if I have a crappy Friday, it's probably not going to be the greatest weekend because I'm going to be thinking about why Friday didn't go so great. Yeah. And I, I firmly believe most of the people I've met in my professional and personal life are want to be happy. And mm -hmm. it's a question of giving, providing tools that um, perpetuates that desire to be happy. And I mean, I say it all the time and I've been on a few podcasts, so I'm sure some of the listeners maybe have heard culture is not beanbags. Culture is not foosball tables. Yeah. Culture is not happy hour mandatory. I love this. And maybe we've talked about this mandatory happy hours on Thursdays. How do you have yeah. a mandatory happy hour? You know, that's not culture. That's, those are all, results of good culture. If I want to play ping pong with you after a, a long day's work, that means I like you and that, you know, we can yeah. kind of, you know, talk about the day, talk about the week, playing ping pong. That's great. But if I don't like you, I don't care what you have in the lunchroom. I'm not, I'm not playing foosball, ping pong. I'm not, yeah. not doing anything. I'm running out of the door. And yeah. so what we want to do is we want to show companies to bring it full circle. And, and the, the title of our, our discussion is the ROI of culture, the ROI of, of using data to figure out, do you have engagement? And if you don't, how do we, how do we engage our employees? How do we yeah. get them? How do we get them to the promised land of wanting to give, receive feedback, utilize that feedback and make the office place a better place to work? You yeah. know, the, 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 we're not utopic in thinking that people are going to skip down the sidewalk going to work, mm -hmm. but we are, what we are driven by is providing a workplace and, and, you know, over the last three years, obviously defining a workplace has become trickier and trickier, but providing a workplace where people can enjoy what they do with people they don't mind being around. Yeah. And, and that's, that's culture. If you, if you work with people that you want to see succeed and you know, Damon's working on that project that if I help him for a couple hours, he'll be able to get out of here earlier and I'm going to do that. That's culture. Yeah. And, and that's what we want to do. We want to provide the information, the data 
to managers and owners to, to really appreciate whether they have that. And if they don't, adopting measures to try to get there. Yeah. And with what, what you're doing, you're giving them and the people a way to see if the changes, the things they're trying to help with are making positive effect and you're measuring it consistently enough to know, are we doing it? Cause you wait for a year, you wasted a year and you really don't know if whatever we're trying to do is helping. But with what you're saying, say Damon, Damon's that salesperson that needs to be out working out in the field by himself, right? Yep, working on an island. Working on an island. Great on that island. Not yep. good in the office. You make that change, you're going to see what that looks like in a month or two. Yep. 100%. And the rest, everybody else will go, oh, Damon's, he's a lot nicer person now. Oh, he's not the And so, so when Damon, when Damon's in the office three days a month instead of five days a week, people are going to like, oh, you know, maybe there's a different side to him. And Damon's going to realize, you know, maybe I'm not a nine to five in the office type of person. Yeah. Whereas some of the other data might suggest that, you know, if I'm, if my numbers in consistency are all over the place, right, we chart it out so you can see it visually, yeah. you can see the data. Well, and I go to my manager and I say, I want to work from home. My managers could say, no, check out your data on consistency. You know, you're all over the place. You, you know, you can't work from home. You need the structure of coming to the office nine to five, Monday through Friday. It's nothing personal. It's not because our kids are, aren't on the same soccer team or because yeah. I like skiing and you don't like skiing or I like the Seahawks. You don't like the Seahawks. Nothing personal. Look at the data. Yeah. And when I say, oh, I know that manager's letting Damon work from home because that manager likes Damon more. I look to the data. I'm like, oh, okay. It's hard to argue with the position of the manager in that situation. You know, not 93% of organizational leaders think culture is a top three item. Top three item. Yeah. 16% of those same leaders think their culture is where they want it. So that gap is enormous. So what are you doing about it? If you know you're not there, if you acknowledge that you're not there, are you doing the same thing to try to get there? Because it's not working. It's not, you know, it, and, yeah. and, and one of the most important things that we preach in terms of getting, receiving and crunching the feedback is do something with it. Because there's nothing worse in terms of data analytics, engagement, feedback, to tell your people, we care. We want to hear what you're saying. We, you know, complete these surveys. Let's see the data. And then you sit on it. Yeah. And you sit on it because all the people are like, wow, you know, they finally are asking us about what we think about uh, our coworkers, our workplace, all these things. Yep. And then they sit and they wait and they look for the initiatives and they look for the, the solutions and nothing happens. Yeah. Well, they jump to conclusions and then they think, well, the data must have been not that great. I worked, I was uh, prospecting a huge international cosmetics company and the president of domestic operations had about 20 some thousand people under his watch. And I had three or four conversations with him about Ripple and he loved it. He was retiring, unfortunately, six months after I first met him. But they had hired a big consulting firm to come in and, and measure their, the level of their culture. And essentially, it boiled down to the following question. Would you refer a friend or family member come work at this company? Because if you do, that's a, it's, a, it's a very common yep. um, question in terms of trying to gauge culture. Because if you do, then chances are you like where you work. So they surveyed everybody. They surveyed the executives and they surveyed the, the employees. The employees said 22, it was anonymous, supposedly. It was 22% said yes. And the executives thought that it was going to be 81 or 82%. So it's not the, it's not the fact that they were off. It's how far they were off. Yeah. 
the disconnect, you know, the yeah. 93% of the organizational leaders knowing the culture is one of the top three, th- but only 16% think that their culture is where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. What are you doing about it? Yeah. What are you doing about it? Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it, it blows me away with the cultural challenges we have. The fact blows me away that that is that far, you know, the 90, whatever percent top three and 16, because just the difficulty in keeping or finding and retaining good employees, the, the, the cost of that turnover is, you know, billions of dollars, trillions, maybe (laughs) on an annual basis for companies. And, and it is not easy to do, but it's not that expensive or difficult to do if you really want to do it. So one last stat about those organizational leaders, 69% of those leaders, of those executives, don't think they invest enough in uh, achieving culture, strong culture in their organization. Yeah. Yeah. So 70%, you know, they're not investing enough. And yet 93% say it's a top three item. There's, there's such a disconnect when it comes to those statistics. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's mind numbing to me. I should, you know, ripple should be all over the place. People should be, you know, beating down my door or, and I, and I say this unabashedly, if not ripple, something else, use one of our competitors, do something Something. because if you're doing the same thing you've done for the last 10 years and your culture still is misaligned and, and, and one, one stat I love using when I speak with um, business valuation geeks, cultural alignment in terms of the value of an organization. So if you have a smaller company or even a bigger company, closely held, and you want to get your maximum sales price, your maximum valuation, if yeah. you have culturally misaligned people, 50% of potential acquirers will walk away yep. from that deal. And then another 23% will reduce the value of that um, business acquisition by 22%. So if you're selling for 10 million, you're suddenly you're selling for eight. Yeah. And yeah. What, what, I, what, what blows me away is the millennials want it. They expect it. Mm-hmm. Gen Z wants it. They expect it. They want the feedback. They need the feedback. So it's not like you're, I'm not, I'm not going to baby boomers saying you've got to do this. You're going as the leaders of an organization, you're going to your younger generational workforce saying, I know you want it. Here you go. Yeah. And I, I'll, I'll go one better on that too, because I think the Gen Xers and the baby boomers would have liked it all along and would love it if it's there, but they never even knew it was a potential because they yes. got they're stuck with the junk for so yep. long. Yep. You know, it's, yep. it's just this, I mean, yeah, it's awesome. And you're right with value because I can tell you, we we have had clients in the past that the culture was not so great over the past decade. And and you will have people, I think it's more even more drastic. If you come back and come, if a buyer comes in, you can feel the culture. You can feel the culture. And when you feel that culture is bad, that's enough for most of them to turn around. Yep. They'll turn around. It's just yep. good because they are investing too many millions of dollars to have, and they know the importance of people and the, and how it can, you can, it'll make or break your company. They will just walk away. And, and the away. risk, right? The risk, risk of a, of a, if you have a good company and you acquire another company and there's, there's a toxicity to yep. those people that you're acquiring, 
whether they whether they're voluntarily being toxic or whether they've just kind of developed over years the the impact remember the actively disengaged numbers versus yes. the engaged numbers the numbers for the active disengagement are going up and engagement's going down so you take the risk as company a buying company b company a has great culture great people i love them i just want to expand you know mm -hmm. growth by um, acquisition whatever your model yeah. is and I acquire 50% of, of new people are, are, are toxic. Yeah. Well, the impact on my great people is it's real. And the risk of it is real. Yeah. And maybe yeah. your people went out in the end, but what if you lose 20% of them? Yeah. 25% of them. That's a huge thing. It's, it's a huge, huge thing. thing. And, and it, and it does have, I mean, the ROI is not just, I want Damon to come to work and be smiling. There's a financial reason that culture is important. And, and you touched on it with retention. You know, some of these companies, the attrition rates are just ridiculous. They, they, they can cripple you because you're, you're hiring people. You're not doing what your firm is supposed to be doing. You're in the process of, of hiring replacements. Yeah. And that's, that I think is the, is, is a negative consequence, but when you get the culture, right, when you get the culture, right. It's the because because there's a lot of people that know how to do things. Right. And you can do things and you can do them well. Mm -hmm. But when you want to do it at an elite level, doesn't matter what you're doing, could be law, could be making something, could be playing sports. The difference is not in does Damon technically know how or no one technically know how to do it. It's are they really invested in doing it the best they possibly can, not Agreed. just good. But the Agreed. best they pops again. And that's what allows companies to dominate and take over markets and do things that people just go, how the hell did they do that? And it's all these things working together. And that culture is like a, just like a kill shot that is just so, and, and it's because people are having fun. They might be, they might be solving the world's problems and it can be hard as hell and they're working like mad to do it but if the culture is right they're really engaged and they're everybody's in it together it's a beautiful thing that you just can't even when you're in one of those or get it in multiple times in your life those are the ones that people look back over their career and they go that was something special and we could do special things and whether like i said it's just it this culture the negative, yeah, there's negative there, but the positive for these these owners of businesses or the investors, whatever, it is far beyond, I believe, any, you know, the negative effects of culture is bad and that can put you out of business. But the other way you can go is pretty dramatic as well. Yep, agreed. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. Well, no, it's been awesome talking to you, man. I just, this is such a great conversation. And I know we have, we have James, James here. We had Farhad has been on with us and thanks everyone else from listening today. We know we got, I can see the listeners on there. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for sharing this again. We've got Noah Pose with Ripple Analytics we're talking about the financial ROI of culture. And if you didn't listen to this whole thing, you need to rerun, go back, <laughs> rewatch, and listen to it because you are going to be able to ditch that annual review and turn it into something that's more actionable and more timely with your people and have a great time. Thanks for being here, Noah. Damon, thanks for having me.
All right, man. Hang out for a moment. We'll talk. But everyone else, we will be back again. Thanks so much.